welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, guys, welcome to the OCR Underground. This is episode 36, where we're going to be showing you some more great tips to help you dominate your next OCR. I am your host, Mike Diebler. As always, thank you for joining me. If you want to check out the show notes for this episode and any links that are mentioned, I want you to head over to www.ocrunderground.com slash episode 36. Uh, while you're there, don't forget, pick up your free copy of our Step Up to Spartan training program. Uh, this is a four-part series to basically outline everything you need to do to help you train for your next Spartan race, as well as a couple of sample programs in there to help you get started. Um, it's just about 4th of July. I hope you guys are ready for an awesome holiday weekend if you're in the U.S. listening to this show. Uh, if not, I hope you're just having a, another great week wherever you may be listening. Uh, I wanted to start this show with a quick tip of the week. I recently got back from Boise where I ran the uh, sprint out there, and um, I'll give the race recap in this episode, but I wanted to share a really quick tip on the hoist. And I know uh, if you've done a Spartan race before, you probably know the rules on a hoist, but it's dropping of the bag. And this may not seem like a big deal, but this could save you a ton of time uh, if you let that bag drop. So obviously the volunteers are going to be there to let you know to not let that bag drop uh, after you get it up to the top. But you may not realize you can't let that bag drop at all. And I want to share a quick story as we were doing the hoist in uh, the race uh, the past weekend in Boise, uh, uh, one of the racers next to me, I felt bad for him, but he got it up, no problem, was lowering it back down. And it was, I don't know, maybe like six inches away from the ground or maybe even less. And he did let go at that point. And if you hear that bag slam at all, doesn't just mean from the very top, but even just that slight little slam and the dust uh, rises after it, they're going to make you do burpees. So unfortunately, he had to do 30 burpees, even though he had no problem getting it up and it wasn't a strength issue. He was just trying to get onto the next uh, run to get to the next obstacle and just let it go a little bit too early. So uh, they don't always give you a warning about that. So I just wanted to give you that quick tip of the week. Uh, next time you're doing the hoist, just don't forget to slow it, uh, slowly lower it down and lay it down on the ground. Don't let it drop even, even an inch. Uh, it's just not worth it if you have to do those 30 burpees there. All right, uh, well, let's get into this week's episode. So as I mentioned, I'm going to be doing the Boise Spartan Sprint uh, recap. I'm also going to do in our research review, we're going to talk all about periodization, and we're going to talk about a study that looked at two pretty common periodization models and looked at the uh, differences between them to give you a little bit of insight on uh, some uh, periodization that you may want to try and test out to see if, if this might be a good fit for you, or at least to maybe break up some things if you haven't been doing this style of, of training before. And then finally, in our Coach's Corner, I have on a frequent guest to the show. We have on SGX Coach and Registered Dietitian Anne LaRue from Spartan SGX BFD. And as always, Coach Ann just gives uh, incredibly valuable insight onto some training. And, you know, I've uh, I, I've been following Ann on Facebook and, you know, and she's just been posting her results and she's really just been killing it. So I really wanted to get her back on the show because I know she's been doing some things differently. And I wanted to see if she'd uh, share with you guys some of these new training tips and uh, nutrition strategies that she's been following. So uh, th this is going to be an awesome interview and I know you guys are going to love it. So make sure you, you listen in and take notes um, because 
there's just a ton of valuable uh, insight that is going to absolutely help your training program going forward. All right, so let's get into this week's episode. It's Mike Diebler, and I'm going to be doing the race recap for the Boise Spartan Sprint held in uh, just outside of Boise, Idaho in Payette at the Thomas Pence Ranch. And uh, I have to say the first obstacle for us was actually just getting to the venue. When we left our hotel right in Boise, uh, it was probably about 5.30, 5.45 in the morning and uh, kind of just got in the car, looked at Facebook uh, for the address where we were going. I saw the address listed at the top. I just hit it and uh, popped up in maps and I just followed along. And um, I then realized as we were getting lost that it just had the road that the race was on and not the actual address. So it just took us to a random spot in the road. Um, but we did get about a 30 minute extra scenic tour of Idaho, which was beautiful. Um, but we were going through some gravel roads for about 35 minutes outside of our way. Um, <laughs> And uh, I feel like we completely trashed our rental car. Um, but we did get a, a, a view of, of Idaho, which was awesome. And we did eventually make it to the race. Uh, we got there right around 7.10 for the 7.30 start. So not much of a warm-up. Pretty much dropped off my stuff and then ran right into the uh, corral to get going. Um, but we did make it. So um, as for the rest of the race, I thought it was a, a great race. Definitely a challenging one. Um, I have to say, I think the toughest obstacle in this race was the terrain. Um, it, it was pretty brutal, and it made the obstacles that much harder. Uh, and it was like that right out of the gate. As you're, you're running, um, it, it, it is a ranch, so there's cows going through there all the time. And you had to watch your step because there were holes all over the place. So it was very uneven. And then maybe, I don't even think it was a quarter mile into the race, you hit, uh, I, I guess you would call it like a thicket. It was just almost like running through patches of tumbleweed. It was just really weird. I've never run through anything like that, but you kind of had a high step through it so you didn't get tripped up and completely energy draining, uh, especially right out of the gate. Um, uh, it was a definite challenge, especially going through some of the first obstacles. It started with the over under through, which is kind of their standard starting ones and a couple walls and then right back through this thicket, which was definitely challenging. And then it was pretty much straight up uphill climb. And when you see the guys leading the elites uh, walking uh, less than a half mile into the race, you know it's pretty pretty brutal. So um, <clears throat> a long, steady incline once you get to the top. A couple obstacles up there. I'll try and remember them in the order as, as best I can. Uh, but we had the monkey bars at the top, so just your standard monkey bars, bars going up and down. Um, and then once you got through there, it was a pretty pretty steep uh, descent down the mountain, and that took us to the bender obstacle right to the inverted wall. So kind of two similar obstacles. And again, after running through all of this, um, this thicket, it just really drained your legs, making the, these obstacles, plus the added walls that they had in there, just a little bit more, more challenging. Uh, a little while after this, we got to the Bucket Brigade, which was uh, pretty standard. It, it was flat, um, which made it nice and uh, not super long, so it wasn't too bad there. Just kind of an out and back route. But as soon as you dumped out your bucket, it was, again, just straight up this pretty brutal hill. Um, and uh, a couple more obstacles up there once you got to the top and then back down. Uh, you actually went through barbed wire. And uh, not a super long barbed wire, but I think it was pretty challenging. It was kind of weaving. You went downhill, uphill, uh, lots of rocks and, uh, and lots of sharp things on the ground. I 
believe they're called goat's head, like these thorns that um, if you weren't careful and I can, you know, as I'm talking right now, I can see in my hands a couple spots that got it. And uh, you just had to be careful where you were, where you're going with that. So it was kind of down up and then getting sprayed by some uh, guy with a hose and uh, then getting through there uh, back uphill. And we got to the hoist, which um, I have to say was a pretty light uh, bag. And with these races, I've noticed that Sometimes you get a super heavy hoist bag and other times it's pretty light. So you just never really know. Uh, so I think this one was a pretty light hoist. And then uh, shortly after that, we went to the Atlas, which was your standard pick it up, burpees, and then back. Um, and then to uh, sandbag carry, which again, really flat, similar to the bucket carry, just an out and back. Uh, not too bad, a little uneven, but um, pretty easy sandbag carry. Uh, and then shortly after that to the... Uh, first pretty tough combo of the spear throw to uh, Olympus. And with the Olympus, this is actually the second time this has happened to me. So uh, the nice thing was the last couple of races I've done were super wet and it was really hard to keep your feet high. This wasn't bad at all. It was actually a pretty dry course. So we didn't have to worry too much about mud um, except for the dunk wall and a little bit in the barbed wire. Um, so here, nice and dry. But um, like I said, the la this time and the last time, as I got to the bell, the person that uh, hit it in front of me, actually, I'm sure they were pretty excited and want to hit it pretty hard, but they actually flipped it up onto the post. So I didn't realize that until right as I got to the end and I was kind of stuck on the wall, not sure if I could actually reach it without falling before I would hit the bell. Um, so I've just, I, I noticed, and I actually noticed it happening on some of the other obstacles that have that bell. So like monkey bars, the rig, the twister, uh, people hitting it so hard, it's actually flipping up. And I do have to say the volunteers were great getting out there as soon as they could to bring it back down. But, um, you know, they can only be in so many places. And as I got to the end of Olympus, it was, it was, the bell was nowhere to be found. So I had to reach up and knock it back down. So just kind of a heads up, just uh, be aware that that might happen as you go through some of those obstacles. Um, after that, uh, it was kind of a downhill through a, through a ravine and then immediately right back up. It was actually a low, a low crawl. So it had kind of the bungee cord uh, crawling up that. So not quite as low as the barbed wire. You could actually stay on your hands and feet, kind of like a typical bear crawl up this steep hill, um, getting under the, the bungee cords. And then once you got through that, it went continuing up this nice steady hill uh, and then immediately down uh, again, a pretty pretty nasty descent, you know, loose sand, um, rocks, had to be careful as you got, you went down. But at this point you can see the finish line in the festival area. So that's a nice motivation to kind of pick it up and, and get down that hill as fast as you can. And that takes you to the gauntlet at the end, which, um, as the theme has been, it seems, uh, with most races are definitely loading the, the grip obstacles towards the end. So this was no different. It finished up with the rig up first and it was an all rings rig. And that took you literally right into the twister. So a pretty tough combo there. And then right into the rope climb, which I thought was interesting. I haven't seen the rope as one of the last obstacles. And, um, you know, after, after doing some of those grip heavy obstacles to climb the rope made it a little bit more challenging. And then, uh, that took you right to the dunk wall and then they did ha did not have fire. So you just had to jump over some hay and then right to your finish. So, um, a couple takeaways from this race that just to be aware of, one, just be prepared for the terrain because you just never quite know what you're going to run into. And if you're used to running on, on the road, on, on gravel, on, or on, on pavement, um, you might want to switch it up or on the treadmill and, and get other types of, of terrain that you're running on. If you can get sand, if you can get to the beach, grass, gravel, trails, through the woods, 
you know, anything that's just uneven and uh, just a little bit more difficult because that's just going to help you out um, physically, but also psychologically just to prepare for stuff getting in your way because you will likely see that in a race. And then the other thing is just be ready for that finish because I guarantee whatever race you're at this year, you're going to have three or four pretty grip heavy obstacles right at the finish. So just make sure your, your grip strength, your ha hanging sh uh, strength is all ready to go so you can make it through that, that tough finish there. All right, it is time for our weekly research review. We're going to compare uh, two different periodization training models, and this one is actually for the ladies out there. So they only looked at women in this study. That does not mean that it's not going to apply to men. We just know from looking at this study, they specifically were uh, targeting women, so we know uh, a little bit more in that sense. But I'm willing to bet we can take away some things for for our male listeners out there as well. But just a quick re, uh, review, periodization, just in case you've never heard of that term before, this is just your training program and how you're going to progress through it. So it's uh, creating a system uh, or a structured plan where you strategically manipulate different variables like your volume, like your sets, reps, your frequency, your loads, intensity, lots of different things you can uh, change. Um, and hopefully you know the benefit of a periodization model, whichever type it is, it, which is basically that you have a system that you're following and it's not just following random workouts um, from day to day and you don't really know what you're going to do or uh, how much weight, weight you're going to be doing. Uh, when we follow a model, a, a a periodized model, then we know we can clearly see the progressions as we go through. And there's lots of different ones out there. We're just going to look at two. And in this study, uh, which was from the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, they compared block periodization versus weekly undulating periodization. Uh, so block periodization is a Russian-developed program where you use a, week a few week-long phases that is uh, targeting a specific stimulus, like it might be targeting hypertrophy or muscle size or, or strength or power or endurance, and it will progress through in more of a linear fa uh, fashion. So you're going to see intensity uh, slowly start to increase as you progress through that program. And that compare that to weekly undulating where you're going to alternate or not, excuse me, not alternate, but alter the variables on a weekly basis where one week might be more endurance based training. The next week might be more uh, strength based. And then the next week might be more power focused. So you're essentially doing the same type of training, but in one, you're devoting several weeks to one specific goal like strength. And in undulating, you're actually uh, varying it up each week, but still following a structured program. So I uh, just want to make that clear that it's you're not following random workouts. You are still following uh, specific workouts, focusing on specific goals as you progress through the program. So in this program, they just did uh, resistance training uh, with women. They had 17 women do this study, and they followed a 10-week training program where they worked out uh, three days per week and all groups. So the, the women were divided into two groups, one doing block periodization and one doing the undulating periodization model. Uh, but they all followed the same exact workout. They just uh, followed different sets, reps, and loading schemes as they went through that that uh, 10 week program. Uh, so, and I, I'll, I'll put a link to all of this so you can see uh, exactly the the loading that they did but for example with the block periodization uh, the first two weeks they did the workouts uh, roughly 70% of their one rep max uh, they did five sets uh, then weeks three and four they increased the intensity to 75% of their one rep max uh, week 
five was kind of a uh, a deload week, so they went to sixty five percent. Took longer rest in between. Just did three sets. Uh, weeks six and seven, they were doing eighty eight percent of their one rep max. Eight and nine, uh, they were doing ninety three percent of their one rep max. And then week ten was kind of another. Uh, recovery phase. So that was the block periodization model where every couple weeks they were bumping up the intensity um, uh, according to the program. And then in the undulating, so week one, they were doing, they started similar. That first week they did 70% of their one rep max during the workout, five sets, about a minute rest in between sets. Uh, week two, they were doing 75%, week three, 88, week four, 93. And then week five, they did kind of their deload set, uh, 65% longer rest, and then they started over. Week six was 70%, then 75, 88, 93, and then the last week again was the recovery. So you can at least see the progressions that they they followed. And they wanted to look at a couple different things. So they looked at uh, strength measurements, they looked at uh, fat, fat mass, so they wanted to see body composition changes, um, and they looked at arm and thigh circumference, so they wanted to see muscle growth as well, and they compared the two groups. So uh, I, I want to point this out first, that both groups actually saw significant improvements across all fields, which is pretty cool. So it basically showed that both of these training models were uh, completely effective for resulting in better strength and better uh, better size and improvements in body composition. Um, but we want to look, w- was one of them a little bit better? And, and they actually did find that the undulating periodization model uh, scored better in, in pretty much all of the different categories here. Um, so for example, uh, fat mass decreased by 4% in the block periodization group and it increased, or I'm sorry, it decreased 7% in the undulating group. And the cool part was that this program had nothing to do with nutrition. They did not give any dietary recommendations. They just said, hey, here's the workouts that we want you to follow, um, but we're not going to try and get them in a caloric deficit or anything like that. They just said, continue eating how you're eating, start doing this, this program. So pretty cool that both groups lost fat mass, even though there was no dietary intervention there. Um, in terms of strength, the uh, both again both saw significant increases in strength and power, but the undulating group showed significantly better improvements in lower body strength. They saw uh, an increase of almost thirty percent, twenty-seven point seven percent in lower body strength, uh, compared to the block periodization group, which increased fifteen percent. Um, so again, both good, but undulating was just a little bit better there. Um, and then in arm circumference, the undulating group saw a 15% increase compared to the block group, which saw an 11% increase. Um, They didn't see quite as big with lower body, uh, but there still was a bigger increase in the undulating group of almost 6% compared to almost 2%. So I know that's a lot of percentages and a lot of numbers. So just to reiterate, one, both saw great improvements in uh, reducing fat mass, improving lower body strength, and increasing arm size and and thigh size. Uh, So all great things that they were trying to do, just that undulating periodization model proved to be a little bit better. So uh, like I said, this study was done with women, but I think men would probably benefit uh, similarly doing doing something like that. But again, it's gonna come down to what seems to work best for you. 
But I do recommend if you've never followed an undulating periodization program, uh, I'm actually a big fan of it. You can do weekly like they use in the study. I actually will do daily sometimes where each day we will um, not necessarily devote to one specific goal. Like you could do something where Monday is a, uh, uh, an endurance day, Wednesday is a strength day, Friday is a power day, right? So you have more of a daily undulating periodization or you can even go within the workout and do some exercises that focus on strength some exercises that focus on power some that focus on endurance uh these are all great methods you have to realize though that there is a give and take and sometimes doing these you are giving up a little bit um so if you want to max or if you if you're trying to target one specific thing like you just care about endurance or you only really care about power then you might want to follow more of a block periodization and devote more uh, of a build-up to that final goal of power or whatever it might be but since we are talking about spartan race training and, and obstacle course race training you know that you need a little bit of everything you need that endurance you need that strength you need that power uh, all at any given time. So it's a lot harder to just devote all of your training to one specific goal. So we need that blend. And that is why I am kind of a big fan of that undulating where we, we slowly build intensity, then you you back off uh, for a week, and then you, you each week builds up again. Um, but again, they're both going to be effective. But if you've never tried undulating, uh, I highly recommend giving that a try in your next program. All right, guys. Well, we are at our uh, coach's corner, and I have our, uh, uh, who's no stranger to this show, we have on SGX coach and registered dietitian, Anne LaRue. How are you doing today, Anne? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me again. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, well, first, I always love having you on here because I think it stimulates great conversation and really helps our listeners just from a variety of nutrition and training aspects. But I particularly wanted to get you on here because you have just been crushing it, and I don't know how many of our listeners are following you on, on Facebook, but it seems like every race that you do, I see you standing on the podium. Um, I could be wrong, but that's just the impression that I get get from uh, how well you're doing, and so I want to get you on here because, um, as always, I'm a little selfish, and I'm expecting you to give me the magic bullet so I can stand on the podium, because I'm assuming it's something super secret and um we're gonna share it with everybody though i could be wrong but um how does that sound that sounds wonderful it is my it's my uh secret weapon but i guess i can share it all right yeah and and we can always uh bleep things out if you don't want anyone to know the the actual secret recipe so only i will know it so um i can get a head start on everybody but uh so yeah um coast Right. <laughs> let's so let's get into it so yeah you have I, I do want you to brag a little bit and just kind of give people the rundown how this season has gone for you and please don't be shy and uh i, I want you to talk about yourself a little bit okay um no this season has been really good actually starting in february with the new with the greek peak i uh, came in second in that race and i gotta tell you it that was one of the best races the best moments i've ever had because right up Right up at the end, it was in the last, I would say, the quarter mile where me and the two other ladies uh, were really kind of neck and neck. And then in the last minute, it was me and Tiffany Palmer. And we were literally, they had rolling hills of like snow and ice. And we were literally neck and neck running over those 
uh, to get down the hill. And that was the biggest rush being so close to the end and having that competition so fierce. So that was awesome. And she, she kind of beat me out in the last 40, 40 seconds or so, just, they had that slip wall at the end and my shoes were slipping. And so anyways, but it was close and it was great. Mm -hmm. So that second place, um, and I haven't been on a podium every single time I did the Jersey, the New Jersey beast. And I landed in, I landed in seventh and that was a learning opportunity for me on that race. Just, I did a little bit of different fueling in the morning that I shouldn't have. Um, so that, that was a learning opportunity for me. Um, then let's see what else did I have? Oh, I did tuxedo twice and the Saturday race. Oh, you know, it just came down to those darn rings, which I always make, always make when it's just the rings. But this time I had chosen to wear gloves, the, mm. my receipt gloves that I, I was just trying it out to see if this was something that I wanted to have in my back pocket for races and went into the ring, should have taken them off. And that's where it slipped. And I lost that, but went back the next day and uh, landed in, in third place on that one. And then most recently in the Rutland Mass Sprint, wound up in first. And that was my first first place. And I got to tell you, I was ahead, I think, by about, it was about two and a half minutes before the second place girl came through. I got quite a lead. Wow. And that was, I mean, it was amazing. It was, it was a lot of strategy. It was a lot of telling myself over and over to run my own race, but still always being aware of, where that second place girl was always trying to keep my lead, never getting too comfortable where I was and just keep, you know, pushing forward. So that was, that was a rush. That was great. And I told my husband it's dangerous because now that I've felt first, I don't ever want to give it up. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. And then I have to imagine you probably have a little bullseye on your back as well. So people, people are going to be gunning for you a little bit. Well, I definitely feel like I've gotten to know a lot of the girls at the starting line, and, you know, it's such a nice camaraderie for 99% of them. There's always that one that's kind of got to realize that we're all in this together, despite yeah. the fact that it's competition. But I do definitely feel like I've accomplished my goal of at least getting into that next level of the group where people may, and it's not that this matters to me overall, but it is, it's, you know, I've gone to that starting line and recognized some of the top the top performers and kind of, you know, looked up to them and really looked to them to see what they're doing and how I can be like them. And I kind of feel like I've somewhat gotten myself into that group of them where people are wanting to know what are you doing to, to do so well. So it's again, not that that matters to me extremely, just, just from a level of showing that the time and effort and focus that I've put into these races is paying off just feels nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all these, these places that you're saying, um, I hope the listeners aren't taking that, um, lightly because that's incredibly impressive. All of these places, even just a top 10 finish. Um, I mean, the, the elite men and women are flying through the course. So I, I know firsthand, actually, I just got back from Boise this weekend and, yeah. uh, I ran in the uh, elite and I'm by no means anywhere near where you are, but I was just trying to push and I, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I secretly have a goal that I do not want the first place female elite to pass me on the course. <laughs> I know they'll beat me in time, but I don't want them to beat me on the course. Um, and unfortunately I got passed at the dunk wall by, uh, um, by the first place elite, and uh, that was a, a bad moment for me. But that's okay. She was doing amazing, and she she deserved uh, just 
she just crushed it. I, I can't remember how far ahead she was as well from second place, but uh, it, it's incredibly impressive at least. So, um, so like I said, I wanted to get you on here and talk uh, a little bit because it's been a little while since we've spoke and it sounds like you have a couple things that you've changed. So I'd love to pick your brain a little bit and get into a few things that you've been doing differently this year. Absolutely. You know, I fell in love with this sport just because it pushed me in so many ways and it so much further than um, the physical aspect, but just the mental and the emotional and the confidence level and everything that I wasn't just enjoying it. I really wanted to put it as kind of the, the focus of my, I don't want to say the focus of my existence, but really a big part of, cause I knew it was making me a better person. I really wanted to see how much better of a person could this make me. And it took, it took last year of doing doing well, but wanting more for me to look outside myself and say, okay, people that are doing really well are not doing this alone. They're not doing it by just saying, okay, I know what to do. Let me just do more of it. And I think you've talked about that in a lot of your podcasts and even just some of the ones recently, you can't just, you're not going to get better by, you know, if some is good, more must be better. You have to be strategic, you know, and you have to be training smarter it harder, but also smarter, right? And not killing your body, and and everything. So one of the one of the things I did was I signed up with a trainer or a coach. Um, his name is Kieran McCormick, and you've probably seen his name. Last year, he was riding very high on the Stadium Series leaderboard. I don't know if he finished the end of the year as the number one, but I know he wrote out most of the year as the number one in the stadium series. Mm -hmm. Just a really intelligent, smart guy who, when I look for a trainer, the number one thing I look for is somebody that did Spartan races and did them well, mm -hmm. because I had talked to some other people and they know running and then some other people know strength. But if you don't know obstacle racing, then you don't fully know how to help me or that that's, you know, that's how I really, looked at it was I needed somebody who knew what I was really up against because this is a whole other animal. So, you know, that, so that was a big piece and I didn't, I wanted to be wise about that and start the training well before, well before the season was going to start. So I actually started with him. I believe it was either late November or early December of last year. And he put together a plan for me based around what my, race goals were for 2017, what my strong distance was, whether that was the sprint super or the beast, which one did I know to be my strength? And in order to do that, we took a look at my races from last year and we saw, okay, which, which of those distance races did you come closest to the lead person's time now? And what that made me realize was I love the beasts. And I told him, I said, you know, I think the beasts are really my strength that, cause, because I love them. Mm -hmm. But what I realized in looking at the time was not so much and that I really did have some strengths in some of the longer sprints, like the one in mass and, and the supers. So from that, we developed my plan of focus races. We developed a a cycle of when I wanted to try to peak for certain races and when I wanted to use some for more as training and maybe not push as hard, but work on obstacle proficiency. And we've been chipping away at that ever since we worked all winter long <clears throat> to build my base of running 
all winter was really just a lot of running, low aerobic pace, you know, low heart rate, easy runs. And then within the last few months, we we ticked it right up and he started putting in some speed work and worked a little more on obstacle proficiency. So that was, that's been a huge key is that I finally decided to look outside of myself, even with what I know and, and hire somebody else to look from the outside at me and say, okay, these are your areas. This is what you want. And then the accountability of having to answer to him each week of how did I do with the training that he laid out for me. Yeah. And um, I I just think that's awesome because a lot of people might be thinking, well, like, why would a coach hire a coach? But I I think you you uh, justified that pretty well. Do you think it was hard to make that choice at all where you're like, I know because it's you know what to do. But like you said, that, that accountability or somebody just really taking a closer look at yourself, because sometimes you might you know, you know, you might have a weakness, but you ignore it or you don't want to admit it. Um, but having somebody just, you know, pull back the curtain and say, hey, this is what we need to work on. Um, was that a difficult decision for you or you just knew, hey, I need to do this if I want to get better? I think it happened. It, I wouldn't say it was difficult, but it did take time. And I really honestly got a lot of it from watching the Spartan races that they have on NBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, NBCSN or whatever, the Spartan races that they televise, I watch those races, but I also listen to everything that those pro elites are saying. I don't let a moment of their talking go by without listening to what they're saying their strategy was, Mm -hmm. how they felt at the time. And I use their words as, you know, if they say, oh, well, you know, at the time I was going through the pain cave and it was hell, but this and that, I remember that. And I, I was thinking, the feelings that I have sometimes during the race, they're feeling it too. So if they're feeling it too, I can live through it. And if they're able to do better, then so can I. And so it started with me listening to them. Then that thought entering my head of, okay, if you listen to other people, you you learn from that. And then I thought it just kind of came to me one day of, instead of just listening on television, actually hire someone to tell mm-hmm. you Specifically, you know, because I could hear them talking and it was their thoughts, but I needed somebody who was talking to me and I love learning. And so I I don't have that whole pride thing of I know what to do. I'll just do it on my own. Mm -hmm. If I see opportunity to learn, I am all about that. So to me, it it, it's not that I didn't want to do it or that it was a hard decision to make, but it, it took a while to realize it was a possibility. I think that was my biggest hurdle is I didn't even think of it for so long like duh just hire somebody you know yeah yeah and um i I think a lot of people might be in the same boat and they might be questioning well should i get a coach i I know i can do this on my own but it it sounds like for you it came down to where you knew that this was an important thing for you as well and if anything is a priority doing it on your own yeah there's always that self-made man or woman that that they just buckle down and, and do it but at the same time, you could ask yourself, like, well, why? <laughs> if, right. if you could have somebody get you there, like, this year versus the next two or three years, why not Why not do it? And it um, just sounded like you came to that conclusion and just did it. Right. And it's helped in more ways than one. Not only is my performance better, but it's nice to have somebody who's paying attention to you and your progress. And when you feel like you, you know, we all second guess ourselves. Should I be doing better at this point? Should I have been able to do this or that? It's nice to be able to turn to him and say, you know, I'm feeling like 
I should be here or there in my training. Should I feel that way? And for him to come back and say, you know, no, you don't need to feel like that. You're exactly where I need you to be. Um, these are your focuses. So just keep doing what you're doing. So it's been nice to have a reassuring voice when the voices in my head start questioning, are you doing enough? Which yeah. has helped me to keep from overtraining. So awesome. Awesome. So um, yeah. if, if it's okay, I'd love to just talk about your, your training. I know you've mentioned it a little bit. So you said uh, this winter, so pretty much the off season, you were just building that base and working on some aerobic endurance training. Yes. Yep. Lots of, um, lots of low heart rate runs that were um, medium in medium in length, you know, uh, over the time we kind of built up the distance. And I was always doing one, usually doing one long run a week that built its way up to, you know, 10, 12 miles so that we could really get in that base, sometimes 14, but they were strategic in that I wasn't just running tons of miles. They were, they were purposeful miles set throughout the week. Awesome. And roughly like how, how long would that, um, period be like that, that training cycle? I feel like we went in like three weeks of building up and then we would kind of take it back just a little bit or we would kind of hold steady. And then we went, you know, three more weeks of furthering it a little bit and then kind of holding steady or backing off. Okay. And um, were you running like every day, um, you know, every other day? What was your strategy there? It was roughly, now I'm trying to think, it's, geez, it's so long now. <laughs> um, I think it was anywhere from three to six days a week, depending on where we were in the cycle and depending on how long the runs were getting on that long run day. Um, I want to say that the total mileage for the week would start you know, 16. And then I was working my way slowly up to having a total of about 30. It varied though, because in our low heart rate runs, we were also working on building in elevation gain. So those were, were aerobic for a certain period of time with a certain amount of elevation. So it wasn't so much the miles as far as much as it was going for this long and trying to gain as much elevation as possible. And he would set certain benchmarks of how much elevation gain I was to get in a run, which forced me to get on a treadmill because otherwise where I live, I just wasn't going to be able to get the elevation gain that I needed. Gotcha. And even with the elevation gain, trying to keep the heart rate low or was that, um, yeah, absolutely. The okay. whole, basically, whole winter and into the spring was keeping that heart rate at an aerobic level. So nice and low, which at first I will say was challenging for me um, because I had to slow myself down. I had to run slower than I was used to, to get my body um, more efficient in that heart rate zone. And then over time I got used to it. And what I loved about it was I was running more often than I had before, but it didn't feel like work because that nice aerobic zone was kind of comfortable. I got a lot of documentaries watched on Netflix and everything. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just love that you're bringing this stuff up because, and I know we've, we've talked on previous episodes about this, but kind of the trend now has been all about high intensity and, you know, I'm not saying you didn't do any of that. I'm sure, you know, like you said, you build up to higher intensities, but 
uh, people t- sometimes want to just skip over that lower intensity work and go, they feel like, oh, well, it's not, not going to benefit me. I can get all the, everything I need from high intensity training. And well, high intensity is great. You're missing out on all of these benefits you get from low intensity training. Oh, absolutely. Building that base is huge. And not only is it building that base, I mean, one of the smartest things I ever heard somebody say, and I believe it was on this podcast, was a gentleman talking. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Why have you even question that? Um, talking about coaches need to be wise that it's not all about obstacles. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're doing training, it's not all about obstacles because you're going to put wear and tear on those shoulder muscles and everything like that. It's not all just about the strength. These races are about strength and cardio. So if we're not training in strength and cardio, then we really don't have the big the big picture. And so I wanted to do well at the running, and so that had to be a base of it. And additionally, those off-season aerobic zone miles were where I was giving my body a rest, right, without yeah. fully getting it. So, so important. Awesome. And, and were you doing any... Um, or, or much resist, resistance training with that or any obstacle work? Was that pretty minimal that whole time? I was still doing resistance training, um, definitely to keep the muscles, to keep the muscle tone there, um, working on as much as I could, the obstacles I have in my yard, as much as, I, as, as the snow would allow, I was getting out onto those. And I also have a set of monkey bars inside my workout space too. So there were still some obstacles, but I'll, uh, that brings to mind one of the biggest things we worked on over that time as well was um, accumulation holds and carries. So, mm-hmm. for example, you know, uh, the dead hang, mm-hmm. uh, accumulation hold of the dead hang, but then working up to 10 minute accumulation holds of a bucket carry. Nice. Just walking, holding a bucket, walking around. There'd be times I was in my kitchen talking to my husband, walking around carrying a bucket, you know, but <laughs> just I had 10 minutes. So that's what I was doing. Yeah. You know, so oh. a lot of that too awesome awesome well i mean that that just sounds like an amazing program and and obviously the results speak for themselves um i I know we can dig into the training a lot more but i wanted to take time since we have you on here and definitely dive into your nutrition as well because i know uh with talking with you earlier you mentioned that you did make some some changes and you were almost a little surprised on um on the results it sounded like yes i try to pride myself in being a dietitian that doesn't get stuck in the old ways of things. Um, however, I think I actually kind of did that for a little bit. And I, and so I was very much of the mindset that carbohydrates are the easiest fuel for the body to use. And so, which is true. It absolutely is true. Um, but I was doing a little too much carbohydrate and what, and not giving my body the chance to learn how to be more efficient at burning fat for fuel. So let me, let me tell a little story about how I came to that. And that, so this might help. So back in either March or May, there was a summit and expo down at Boston university. And two of the speakers that were going to be there were Joe DI and uh, Dr. Jeff Godin. And so I wanted to go down and listen to them speak and perhaps get to meet them in person. But this whole weekend was an expo of endurance for endurance athletes. So a lot of Ironman athletes, um, anybody who was doing endurance trail running, cycling, any of that, they had speakers from, I believe there was something where people were doing 
seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. And they had the man and the woman that had won that. They were there speaking on a panel. And Ryan Hall, an Olympic runner, he was there speaking on a panel. So just a lot of really good athletes. And it was right in Boston. So I thought, why not go to that? And one of the people that was there was a dietitian by the name of Bob Sibahar. And that stood out in my mind because there's not many male dietitians. Mm-hmm. But um, so his talk was going to be on metabolic efficiency and teaching the body to burn fat as fuel. And so I wanted to hear more about this. And so it was great because when I went into the talk, everything that he was saying in the first half of the conversation was everything that I knew. So it was reaffirming that, OK, yep, I'm on the right track. But then in the second half of the conversation, he started talking about metabolic efficiency and how we don't need as many carbs as we think. And at first I kind of, you know, I didn't I didn't really buy into it and I thought, okay, let's listen to what this guy has to say. And I know I've always, you know, fueled with carbs and it's always worked for me and I feel great in my workouts and X, Y, and Z. But then I said, no, what, no. This guy obviously knows what he's doing. He is the dietitian to professional athletes on multiple levels, seeing athletes that are in the Olympics, whatnot, publish books, everything. This guy knows what he's talking about. So listen with an open ear. And I did. And he was talking a lot about how we can train our bodies to be metabolically efficient so that they are tuned into burning our fats for fuel more so over carbohydrates. But the way to do that is that we really have to reduce the amount of carbohydrates that we were, were eating and not necessarily having fruits as often as we, as I was anyways, and doing ratios. And I, I don't want to confuse anything, but doing ratios that were a one-to-one ratio of protein to carbohydrates. So meaning for every one gram of protein, you want to eat one gram of carbohydrate. So at my breakfast, if I'm, I need to have about 30 grams of protein, then I need to match that with 30 grams of carbohydrate, giving my body some equal energy through both of those sources to balance out my glucose levels, to avoid insulin and energy spikes, and to keep an even keel over the course of the day, while additionally reducing the amount of carbohydrates that I was eating so that my body was not feeling those spikes and thinking it needed to use the carbohydrates at energy, but more focused on getting fuel through fats. Hmm. So what that ended up looking like, and it took a, I, I bought his book, and I went and I had a long conversation with him. And being a dietitian, it was easy to pick up on what he was saying, but I could definitely see how somebody who didn't have a background in nutrition, it, it was a whole new way of looking at food. So, so um, one of the things that he recommended was having a metabolic efficiency test done. And that's where you get hooked up to one of those machines with the tubes, right? And you Mm -hmm. run Mm -hmm. for certain distances at certain levels, and they are able to tell by, by what you're breathing out, they can tell when you 
switch over from burning fats to burning carbohydrates and at what level. So I went down to Massachusetts. I scheduled this whole test, fasting first thing in the morning, got on that machine for about an hour, and she put me through the motions of running these different speeds. And at the end of it, she had, a week later, she had a full test for me of how much I burn for fats, how much I burn for carbohydrates, and what my fueling needs to look like around my training, whether it's a high-intensity training, a long-duration training, or whether I don't even need to fuel at all on that day because the length and what I'm doing doesn't even require it. Mm -hmm. That was different because what I was doing prior was regardless of what I was doing or for how long, if I was going to work out, I was just, that's all I was thinking is that I was going to work out. So I'd go home, I'd have a cup of coffee, I'd have my banana with a little bit of peanut butter, and I'd go do my workout, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes later. And that was basically it. I just knew I needed carbs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, Or so I thought. But so this has been a whole other world of really not going to carbohydrates right away and leaning more towards an even and lesser amount of carbs with a match of protein. And, and we touched on this the last time we, we talked, and, and I'll put a link to our previous discussion in the show notes for this episode, but I, th- this is kind of a discovery I was starting to see myself with just what my body was doing and, you know, just listening to other people talk and reading books that, you know, we, we got stuck in that mentality that, yeah, every day should be this, you know, regardless of what you do that day, you know, you eat this proteins and these fats and these carbs, and that's just how you eat. But when you start to think about it, it's like, well, we you know, things, our fueling needs are going to change if I'm going to be doing a super high intensity workout or if I'm going to be doing, you know, very low intensity walking or something like that, I don't need the same amount of fuel. So it kind of sounds like that's, that's kind of what you've been doing. Yes. And this has been, I got to tell you, it's been a whole other level of looking at food. Now, let me tell you, I love logging my food and seeing what I'm eating. For me, it's another peace of mind, just like my training plan that I'm on track with where I need to be. And so I was always logging my foods in my fitness pal. And when I was given the recommendations based on my activity and my aerobic capacity and metabolic efficiency where it was, I was given my grams of carbs, proteins, and fats to aim for. And it became less about the overall, you know, I had been looking at my percent what percent of my calories were coming from carbs, what percent from protein and percent from fat over the course of a day. But this really started focusing on gram specific and by meal. And that's just not a way that I had looked at things before, Um, not so closely anyways. And it's kind of, I think it goes to the whole mentality of, when we, when we think, okay, I know what to do. I'm, I do it pretty well and everything's fine. And I, you know, I had kind of gotten to this point. I had gotten to a certain weight that I was at that I was fine with because I wasn't trying to lose weight, but I, I had kind of been trying to lean out a little to be faster on the course, mm-hmm. but I had kind of settled into the mindset that, no, I think this is just where my body is comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that was another piece that changed when I started focusing on the gram specific ratios each time I ate is that I started seeing myself become leaner. And I'm not even talking 
over the course of months, I'm talking within within two to three weeks, I noticed a decrease in the excess water that my body was holding on to. And I definitely know that that's partially because I was having less carbohydrates, mm-hmm. but seeing more tone and more definition, seeing veins where I've never had veins before, you know, mm-hmm. um, and just seeing a lot more definition, but again, somehow surviving with a lot less carbs. And I, ne- I never thought that possible. When I started going back and looking in my fitness pal, I had been eating, you know, mid 200, you know, 250, 225 to 250 grams of carbs a day, especially on my long running days to now where I am down between 100 and 150 grams of carb a day and feeling great, like feeling fabulous. That's awesome. And it's amazing because what we've done, in essence, when I try to explain to my clients that I'm working with now on how to adjust their nutrition, I see it as in the same way that people use caffeine to have it at the right time to boost themselves through a workout. That's what I've essentially trained my body to do with carbs. Most of the time I don't need them. I can get through, but when I want to have an energy surge for a workout, not a workout necessarily as much as a race, I can pick and choose now my carb ratios so that when I go into those sprints on race day, I am full of energy flying through those trails like insanely just because of the way that I've gotten my body to react to carbs now. Whereas before, just like with caffeine, if you have it all the time, your body is just used to it. I was that way with carbs. I was eating so much that my body was kind of just used to having them as an energy supply. Now it's more sensitive to that, to that carbohydrate. Yeah. And that's, um, you just brought up a a million different points I want to get to. I'm sure I won't be able to get to all of them, but, uh, I I like that you brought up you're so you're not saying like carbs are bad and like you should not eat any carbs and, and go completely like ketogenic. You're just saying, you know, most people are probably eating too many. And it obviously is going to depend on what you're doing that day. But now you have the opportunity to, when you do consume carbs, to maximize, like like you said, that metabolic efficiency, where now you are going to use them to their full advantage, where, you know, if you're drinking five cups of coffee every day, yeah, you're not going to really feel like it's waking you up anymore. Right, right. And, and absolutely, to clarify, yes, I do not think carbs are the enemy. They are very much my best friend. Um, I just needed to learn uh, how to be friends with them. They're, they're kind of like that friend that's good to have around sometimes, but not all the time, you know. Um, and the biggest thing also was of those carbohydrates, I am getting them. I really don't do much grains at all, if if any. I get all of my carbohydrates from fruits, vegetables, and dairy. Mm-hmm. I do, I do uh, Greek yogurt. Um, so fruits, veggies, and dairy. And I get, you'd be, you know, you're, it's amazing how many carbohydrates and even, and protein that you get from those foods. And the biggest difference is I just cut out fruits on my rest days, but otherwise I'm still eating fruits. I eat tons of vegetables. It's ridiculous how much. Uh And then I I do dairy. I'm, I'm big on dairy. It works for me. I like it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, some people might be lactose intolerant and it doesn't work for them, but you know, again, that's why this is a little challenging because everybody is going to be so different. But, um, like you said, you know, so a hundred to 150 grams or so of carbohydrates. Yeah. That'll be like a lower 
carb, but that's, you know, you're not, you're not hitting like the ketogenic, I no. forget the numbers, like 40 grams or below or whatever it is. Um, so I think that's very manageable for most people that look at a ketogenic diet and they're like, I, I just couldn't cut that much out. You're just saying you're just going to watch those numbers a little bit and it doesn't sound like it's that challenging for you. No, it actually, it was a little challenging at first only because I wasn't used to looking at the foods those way and I missed carbs, but I didn't, it was by no means hard to live with from a, a feeling terrible standpoint. And I think that's one of the things that sets obstacle course racing apart from other people. I know a lot of endurance runners who will do a ketogenic diet, but what we have to understand is that endurance running relatively steady state for very long periods perhaps ketogenic and, and that really metabolic efficient fat burning body could be appropriate for that. But in the obstacle course racing world, we need to have those spikes of energy to get through the Herc hoist, you know, and, and certain obstacles that are going to require quick bursts of energy that we really need to pull from something. So I wouldn't want to go too low in my carbs for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'm glad you said that because I've always really felt the same way just knowing you know yeah a ketogenic diet might work in some situations and some people will do really well with it but for this type of training it didn't make sense because you needed you need that burst and i just yeah. don't think you know again there's always the exception where uh, somebody might be listening and say i can do it and you know it, you definitely might be able to but i just think for the majority that's uh going to be too low and you're just not going to have the strength to get through some of the, you know the rig and and some of those more challenging obstacles Right. Awesome. Well, I, I know we can talk about this all day, but maybe we can just end with, um, you know, if somebody's listening to this and you're kind of blowing their mind a little bit with, with some of these things, or maybe they're just not sure where to start, what would you recommend, like, somebody at least start, uh, uh, whether it's just to do more research or maybe some things to try, you know, maybe just that one-to-one -one ratio you talked about? Um, is there, you know, one or two things that somebody can at least get started with? Yeah, definitely. I think if you're if you're really looking to go at it from a level of, you know what, I yes, I want to take this further. I feel like I know what I'm doing, but I really want to reach that next level of getting foods to work as my magic bullet hidden performance thing. Um, obviously, as a dietitian, I would recommend working with a dietitian because knowing your specific needs and your specific gram amounts is going to be crucial to getting you to your peak performance. So that's one thing I would say is number one is, you know, and that's something I do simply, which is uh, we can even do it depending on somebody's knowledge level. It could be as much as a one quick one hour consult to say, okay, give me, tell me what you're doing for training tell me, you know, height, weight, age, kind of these basics, and I can give you gram parameters. Um, so that's obviously like the top level of how to get there the best. Um, if not, there is, Bob Sibahar has a book, Metabolic Efficiency Training. I'll have to get you the name of it so that you can put it in the show notes. Definitely. If somebody, yes, if somebody wants to just, if there's, if somebody's thinking, you know what? Give me a book. I can read it and put it into practice. Great. I'll give you the name of that book because that it's an excellent book. Perfect. But I at the basic level, if you, this is what I always tell people as at a very basic level, if you don't know how much you're eating, 
meaning you've never actually logged it for a week along with your training plan, then you have to at least start there. Because if you don't know what you're actually eating, it's going to be very hard to make true changes. Awesome. Cool. I think that those are definitely simple, simple steps to start with. And I will put I'll get that book from you. I will put the link in the show notes. And if it's all right with you, I'm going to put your contact info. So uh, if anybody just doesn't want to do the work, or I shouldn't say it that way, but wants to uh, get a little shortcut and just have you work with them and give them give them a a quicker path to the more customized diet, they can definitely reach out to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love working with people, especially athletes that want to make a difference. I love being able to problem solve through that. The more people that I work with, you know, the more strategies that I get and then the more I can pass along to future clients. So, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, as always, it's been a pleasure talking with you and thanks so much for coming on here and and sharing some of your knowledge with all of our listeners and myself. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I, uh, like I said before, I mean, you have an awesome show every, every, I love that you do the uh, research review. I love the coaches that you have on and you had, what was it? The one of the most recent ones you had, uh, what is the new segment you have? Like, what does Mike think or something um, yeah, like that? I'm still trying to think of a more clever name, but inside Mike's mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, but you were just talking about people kind of just haphazardly doing too much training and everything like that. And it just resonated because I have a few people in the classes I teach where it's like, I, they'll come over and every time they're like, Oh, they're like, Oh yeah, I'm a little sore and this and that. And I always ask them the same question. I'm like, when is your rest day again? I ask yeah. because I, Take one. Yeah. And they're like, well, I don't really kind of plan it. I go with the flow and I'm constantly preaching rest days. If yeah. there's one I have built into my plan, it's rest days. That's They're just as crucial as the training days. Oh, absolutely. I, I love talking recovery because it's, you know, it's not the sexiest topic, but it, it's one of the most important. So um, always yeah. good to hear. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. I'm sure we're going to get you back on here and talk about, about some more great stuff, but good luck to you to the rest of the season. I'm really hoping we get to run into each other at, at one of these races. So uh, I'll look forward to it. Someday. Yeah. Someday. All right. Well, thank you again. My pleasure. Okay, well, that's going to do it for episode 36 of the OCR Underground Show. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you got some valuable information from this episode. If so, don't forget to head over to iTunes and make sure you subscribe to the show so you get any of the latest episodes automatically. And also, please give us a rating, help boost our our score there, and uh, just let us know that we're doing a great job. This is a free resource, and really hope it's providing a lot of value to your training program. So definitely appreciate uh, a review if you feel like that it has benefited you in any way. Uh, also, a special thanks to SGX coach Anne LaRue for sharing some of her, her uh, new training and nutrition tips. Uh, I know there's definitely a lot of takeaways there that I'm going to start playing around with with my training program. And uh, if you want to take Anne up on her offer, definitely check out the show notes so you can find out Anne's contact info in case you need any help with your, your nutrition program to help improve your, your race performance. And as always, I want to thank our sponsors of the show. We have Designer Protein for all of your protein needs, whether it be whey-based or plant-based. Uh, plus, they have some great meal replacements, uh, greens powder, ancient grade, a whole bunch of cool products on there. Just visit designerprotein.com and use code SDPREMIER20, and you can get 20% off your order. As well as our other sponsor, Mobilitas, for all of your mobility tool needs. Uh, they have some great products that are going to be coming out soon. Uh, but for now, check out 
up their classics, uh, their peanut, their sphere, their roller, or just get them all and save money and get their uh, mobility kit. And if you want to save some money there too, you can get 10% off. I'm going to put the uh, coupon code in the show notes as well. So definitely check them out at your joints shouldn't hurt. Uh, Well, that's it for this week. Uh, Wish you guys the best of luck if you have a race coming up. Uh, If not, make sure you're following some of these training programs so you can crush the next one. We'll see you guys soon.